Hi, everybody. Welcome to Lectures on Lacan, a podcast dedicated to clear, coherent, and accessible readings of key texts in Lacanian psychoanalysis. I'm your host, Samuel McCormick, Professor of Communication Studies and Psychoanalysis at San Francisco State University. Hope you enjoy today's episode, and if you do, be sure to like and follow us on Substack, Instagram, and all the usual places. It's time to get into seminar 14. And my hope is that we can arrive at some, some bumper stickers for this first bit on seminar 14, the logic of fantasy. Um, the emphasis is on logic to start with. There ain't much talk of fantasy in the first 60, 70 pages of the logic of fantasy. There is, however, a lot of talk of that barred big other. Um, I'm not entirely sure where Lacan is heading with seminar 14, Um, but I am damn certain where he begins, which is where we just left off with the structural logic of the barred big other. Now in Lacanian, discourse, we oftentimes hear a couple of catchphrases around this topic of the barred other. We oftentimes hear there is no other of the other. And we also often hear there is no meta language. Both of these bumper stickers in their own right can be traced back to Lacan's structural logical thinking around the barred other. Both are anchored, I would suggest, in Lacan's reading of set theory, which Lacan adjusts and adapts to his notion of the symbolic. So work with me on this. Check out pages 10 to 11 of seminar 14. And if yours looks anything like mine, You can find this online, readily available, thank goodness. Um, you know, For those of us that speak the imperial language of English, um, there is an English translation produced um, at Lacan in Ireland. It's not a fabulous translation, but it's better than the non-translation that those of us without fluent French would have to work through. This is a great starting place. It'd be wonderful to see this translation um, copy edited, updated, tested, tried and trued relative to the other standard English translations of Lacan's work. Even so, it's hella legible. So let's take a look at pages 10 through 11. It's at the end of Lacan's first lecture, pages 10 to 11. I'm at the bottom of page 10. Take a second and find this if you haven't already downloaded it and checked it out. Again, take a moment right now to uh, run an internet search, find the logic of fantasy, seminar 14, and join me here at the bottom of page 10. 
let's pay careful attention to what's happening here. You'll see in the last paragraph on page 10, set theory is introduced. And then it gets a little wonky. He's messing around about X not being a member of itself. That's important. But the last two lines is where the fun starts for us. What is proper to the totality of signifiers, I will show it to you in detail, involves the following as necessary. If we simply admit that the signifier cannot signify itself involves the following as necessary. That there is something that does not belong to this set. It is not possible to reduce language simply because of the fact that language cannot constitute a closed set. In other words, there is no universe of discourse. Now we've talked about the etymology of universe, to make one, to turn stuff into one, to unite is a good way to understand what's happening here with the universe. But don't forget that the UN at the front of universe doesn't just mean one in French derived from the Latin unus one, but also has this other meaning in German and English, for instance, where UN, un, is a negation. It means not, in addition to one. This play will become incredibly important in Lacan's stuff and may even allow us to dip back into Seminar 11, which is all I want to do now. Um, but there is some good stuff in Seminar 11 on this uh, that you've heard from me before, but it might be worth returning to just to spell it out. First and foremost, let's get some things ironed out about the big other the symbolic. In the bottom right-hand corner of the graph of desire, you see this A with a circle around it. This is the locus of the other, of the big other, and it is not barred. It is considered full. It is a treasure trove of all the words in a given language. It is a treasure trove of all the signifiers in the signifying chain. The point that Lacan is driving at here is that this container of all signifiers, words, things, etc., is in fact incomplete. There's always something missing from this totalizing set known as the symbolic, the big other language. There's always something that does not belong to it. And what I want to do is tell you exactly what that is in seminar 14. There's a lot to it, but here's fundamentally what he's talking about here. What is not included in the set known as the symbolic, known as the big other, is the big other, is the symbolic. The container is not included among its contents. And any time in the next hour, when you feel like things are getting a little weird, just remember this. Lacan is fundamentally working with the structural logic of containers and things contained. And the fact that containers are not among their contents 
This is why he says there's no other of the other. Because at some level, what the big other lacks is a big other that could encompass it the way that it encompasses everything else in the world. There is no other of the other. And that is what the big other lacks, is a relationship to the big other like it imposes on everything that it circumscribes. That's what it lacks, is a big other of its own, a container in which itself can become a contained entity. Uh, it's the same with meta-language. There is no meta-language because in order to talk about language, you have to use language. You can't have a language that is above language because it's a language, so it's still in the field of language. There's no meta-language. There's no language about language. Every language about language is just an extension of language. This is what he's getting at here. Not surprisingly, he then shifts to Russell's paradox, the one we were just talking about. For those of you who may have had some difficulty in understanding what I have just formulated, I will recall simply the following, which I already said at the appropriate time, that the truths that I have just stated are simply those which appeared in a confused fashion at the naive period of the establishment of set theory in the form of what is wrongly called Russell's paradox, because it's not a paradox, it's an image, the catalog of all catalogs which do not contain themselves. There it is again. We just heard it in seminar 11. Here it is popping up right at the start, 11 pages into seminar 14. What does that mean? Either it contains itself or it contradicts its definition, or it does not contain itself, and in that case fails in its mission. So think about this really quickly. Russell's paradox is to imagine a catalog of all catalogs which do not contain themselves. Then the question becomes, should this catalog of catalogs be included among the catalogs that it contains? If it does not include itself, then it has to be included because it would in that case be a catalog that does not contain itself. If, however, it does include itself, then it has to be excluded from its own categorization because now it's a catalog that does contain itself. That's what Lacan means here when he says, either it contains itself or it contradicts its definition. Note this either or popping again. Or it does not contain itself and in that case fails in its mission. If it doesn't contain itself, it's a failure because that is one catalog that is not contained in its totalizing set of all catalogs that don't contain itself. That makes the mission of this catalog of catalogs a failure. If it contains itself, well, let's leave it at there, that for now. I don't wanna get us too much in the weeds on this one. Um, I love it that Lacan says this isn't a paradox at all, it's an image, brilliant. One has only to declare, and this is the important part, that in making such a catalog, one cannot take things all the way, and for good reasons. What those reasons are remain to be seen. What we're going to try and understand now is why you can't take things all the way. 
why the symbolic can never go all the way, why the big other can never fully account in a totalizing fashion as it purports to, why the big other is never a complete treasure trove, why it's always lacking at least one thing. But what I earlier gave you the statement of, in the formula that the universe of discourse, that in the universe of discourse, there is nothing that contains everything. This is something which properly speaking, encourages us to be particularly prudent here as regards the handling of what is called whole and part, and requires us at the origin to distinguish very severely. This will be the object of my next lecture, the one from the totality. Very important theme here the one, capital O-1, from the totality, which precisely I have just refuted because there can't be a totality, saying that at the level of discourse, there is no universe. There is no counting as one. You can make things count as one, but only in a way that places under erasure the incompletion, necessary incompletion of that count, which we'll discuss with lots of examples. So hang tight which undoubtedly leaves still more in suspense whether we can suppose it to be anywhere else, to distinguish this one from the countable one. So the one in question for Lacan is not the countable one. It's not the one that is a universe, a made into one. There's a one that Lacan wants to discuss, an un, that is separate from sets where you've gathered things into one collection, a universe. And that's the problem with the universe is that there's always one thing, too many that hasn't been counted. There's always an additional one still to count. And why is this important? Because this one, that is not counted in the totalizing set of the symbolic, of the big other, of society, whatever you want to call it. It slips and slides like the ferret we discussed in seminar 11 and can only be the one by repeating itself at least once. I think this is the trickiest part in the readings that we're discussing now is the idea of, repetit of repetition and repeating itself only once and closing in on itself to establish at the origin the lack involved, namely, the one involved in the establishment of the subject. And I would advise you to hear him say, when he says the one involved in the establishment of the subject, as a figure of that capital O1 that is not counted by the symbolic, and also as a figure of the lack that he just referred to there as well. This is effectively Lacan's introduction to seminar 14. So on the one hand, you have something that is countable as one, a collection of things that can be gathered together and grouped into, I don't know, one language, one society, one city block. You can gather all the houses up and say, this is one city block. We can make all of these houses count as one. It's a totalization of all the houses on that block. Lacan's point though, is that these totalizing efforts are always incomplete for some structural 
logical reason. There's always something that is being left out, necessarily so. So fantasies of wholeness, plenitude, completion, and if you've got ears to hear, I am talking about the fundamental fantasy that the subject has relative to the big other, that the child has relative to the parent. The fundamental fantasy, in other words, that these are not desirous big others, but demanding big others. They don't lack, they are full. That's the fundamental fantasy. The fundamental fantasy to be traversed in psychoanalysis is that the big other is whole complete, full, in a way that you are not, and as a result, can and should issue demands instead of doing what we experience on a daily basis, which is confront us with desire. The symbolic is the register in which things are made to count as one. But then there's this other place, this other register. I hesitate to use register here, but it serves us well enough. Not where things are made to count as one, grouped together like houses on a city block, but something that is a one that is necessarily excluded from that earlier count. Here is a one as un in the sense of not, in the sense of negation, as cut, as we will see as unary trait, U-N-A-R-Y trait. There's that U-N again. Here, what we see is not the symbolic, but the subject, the split subject. And where else are we now but precisely in that either or of being and meaning that we saw in the early 200s of Seminar 11. There's the other and the field of meaning that purports to have an answer to all questions. And then there is the field of being, which entails the split subject. In a very real sense, Seminar 14 is picking up where Lacan leaves off in Seminar 11 on the topic of alienation and separation. And remember, the big theme here is containers and contents. Containers are not among their contents. Hold that thought as we move forward here. And moving forward, we are. Page 25 to 26 is the next stop on this walk through. But you may be surprised or perhaps not surprised to hear that this next stop on pages 25 and 26, I fooled you, are back to seminar 11. Pages 25 to 26 of seminar 11 are terrific on this topic. Seminar 11 on page 25 gives you a definition of the unconscious that is brilliant, simple, completely accessible, utterly true, showing you just how Freudian Lacan actually is. 
At the bottom, though, he introduces this question of a totality. It's at the bottom of page 25 of Seminar 11. He talks about the unconscious as a phenomenon of discontinuity, a rupture, a break, an interruption, cesura. And then he asks, must this discontinuity, this interruption that is the unconscious, occur against the background of a totality, a collection of all things? I'm not going to spend much time with this because we've already worked on it extensively in our lectures on Seminar 11, but it's worth rehearsing here. Is the one top of page 26, anterior to discontinuity. I have to say, this is one of the questions that comes up constantly in discussions of Lacanian psychoanalysis. I get this all the time. What was there before the symbolic? What was there before the discontinuity, the rupture, the cut, the blah, 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 that produced the split subject? What was that like? And, you know, the question itself tells you a lot about where folks are and, and what they want of this world. And I think what, it, what that question belies is a fantasy of psychoanalysis that promises to return you to a state of Edenic bliss, wholeness, and completion. At the end of analysis, I'll feel whole. I'll feel like I did before I was split. And that whole line of thought is just ridiculous. It doesn't even comport conceptually or clinically with what Lacan is up to. But nevertheless, it keeps coming up as a question. What was there before the process of alienation? Well, here and in our previous lectures, I've told you sexuation was there. Okay, well, what was there before sexuation in the field of this living organism? Lacan has one answer for this. What was there before, he says, is the here and now of the all in a process of becoming. It's just a big smear of life. And should we consider this as a whole, Edenic, unified experience, where before we were split, we were whole? Here's how Lacan answers that question. And if you've ever asked it to me and wondered why I showed, I say, turn to page 26 of seminar 11. Here's the reason why. Is the one anterior to discontinuity? I do not think so. And everything that I have taught in recent years has tended to exclude this need for a closed one. You see, that's the dilemma of the symbolic that Lacan's getting into in seminar 14 at the start. So the symbolic, like the big other, purports to be a closed one. And our fundamental fantasies prop that up. We want it to be a closed one because that's easier to deal with than a leaky one. It's easier to imagine others to be complete and thus demanding than it is to grapple with their incompletion and by extension, their desire. This closed one is for Lacan, a mirage, to which is attached the reference to the enveloping psyche, a sort of double of the organism in which this false unity is thought to reside. 
you will grant me that the one that is introduced by the experience of the unconscious, here Lacan is going to tell you what he means by the one, is the one of the split, of the stroke, of the rupture. Here are the two ones that we were just talking about. There's the countable as one, this fantasy that there is a universe of discourse. And then there is this other one as cut, as stroke, as rupture. And notice how Lacan turns the topic next. At this point, there springs up a misunderstood form of the un, the un of the unbewusste. Let us say that the limit of the unbewusste is the unbegriff, not the non-concept, but the concept of lack. That is a crucial paragraph here. The unbegriff, the non-concept, begriff, German for Think about grip. The English word grip comes from this. To get a grasp on something, to have a conceptualization, to comprehend something, to understand something, to conceptualize something, is to get a grip on it, to get un griff on it. Um, un begriff doesn't mean the non-concept, a lack of grasp. It is instead a grasp on lack. This other one for Lacan is a way for him to help us get a grasp on what is lacking from the totalizing efforts of the symbolic and the big other. A lack that is necessary, that is structural, that can't ever be filled. Okay, that's it. I'll stop with seminar 11 for a minute. Um, but I want to emphasize this. This grasp of lack is part and parcel to the claim you often hear here. When I say that psychoanalysis is a science of openings, of objectality, this is what I'm after. Psychoanalysis conceptually is about getting a grasp on openings. It's a science, but not one of objectivity where you're focused on stuff, but you're focused on openings. Science, modern science wants to wrap its head around stuff, entities. Psychoanalysis teaches us to wrap our heads around non-stuff, not places that are stuffed with meaning, but places where meaning has leaked out. It's not about objectivity, but about objectality. And this emphasis on the one as cut, rupture, opening, as non instead of totalization gets us closer to it. It's also why I say that the ontology of psychoanalysis is in fact a meontology, a meontology, from the Greek meon meaning non-being. Because what psychoanalysis does is it puts us into contact and helps us wrap our heads, our hands, and our hearts around the constitutive non-being, the mayon of humankind, you and me alike. 
Psychoanalysis is about getting a grip, not on being, fuck being, non-being, because that is truly what's at the core of us, if there is one. And that's what he's turning to on pages seminar on seminar 11, pages 25 to 26. But let's focus on this structure of the big other, barred and otherwise, of this lack that I'm suggesting here is constitutive of the symbolics totalizing claim to represent everything, of languages perennial failure to account for all signifiers and so on. Consider the example on page 13, and it's page 13 of seminar 14, mind you now. This example's whack, but it, it's here. So Lacan is hanging out, he's teaching his class, and apparently he tells somebody to get up and go to the board and write something. Madame, take this little piece of chalk, make a rectangle, write, and apparently she's writing, and then he says, no, make it very big, almost as big as the board, there you are. And then he tells her to write one, two, three, four on the first line. No, inside the frame, one, two, three, four. And then write the smallest whole number, which is not written on the board beneath one, two, three, four. Folks start cracking up. And then he says again, no, write the sentence, the smallest whole number, which is not written on the board. Now there are two ways to read this. First, you could just focus on all the no's in here which I do not think are irrelevant. But it's probably more productive for us to focus on what is resulting from this little experiment. So this student writes on the board the diagram that we see beneath. There's a rectangle. In it are the numbers one, two, three, and four. And then there's also this sentence, the smallest whole number which is not written on the board. Now, the way to read this is that rectangle is a catalog. It's a set. It's a container. And everything that is inside it on the page here are the contents. So inside this rectangular container are the numbers one, two, three, and four, and the sentence, the smallest whole number, which is not written on this board. It's a little game. Lacan's full of these things. It's highly illustrative and puts us on the path to understanding what he's doing with containers and things contained. This could have been presented in a different form. Namely, instead of doing me the service which has been done, and I thank the person who was good enough to write this sentence that you see written out, that I could, without writing it, have asked you, or even if you wish, made a little person from whose mouth, from those mouth there, would emerge what they call in comic strips a bubble. Another wild way to read seminar 14 at this point, notice his use of the word bubble. And here I'm not thinking of Slaughter Jike stuff on bubbles. I'm thinking of Lacan stuff on bubbles. And notice here, it's the bubble that would come out of a comic strip and have a cloud here and it would have written in it what it is that the person is saying on the page, what they're saying in writing as depict, you know, see, see what he's doing here? Someone would say in this, in this thought cloud or comic strip bubble, 
the smallest whole number which is not written on this board, in which case you would all have been in agreement and I would have not contradicted you that it is the number five. So if the numbers one, two, three, and four are in this box, you have to ask yourself then, okay, what's the next smallest whole number which is not yet included here? You say, oh, it's the number five. Okay, so five is what that sentence means. That sentence means five because five is the smallest whole number which is not yet included in that category. And Lacan says, I'm not gonna contradict you. Five sounds about right. It is clear that from the moment that this sentence is written, the smallest whole number, which is not written on the board, the number five being written there by this very fact is excluded. Wait, five is excluded? Hold up. You have only to search then whether the smallest whole number, which is not written on the board might not perchance be the number six. Five is excluded because it is not written on the board. The number five is not written on the board. How about the number six? And you find yourself with the same difficulty, namely that from the moment you pose the question, the number six as the smallest whole number, which is not written on the board, basically you're fucked. And it goes on and on and on. This is the best use, by the way, of the psychoanalytic and so on, is right here. It's the and so on that is produced by this weird little kink in the game. An opening that can't help but be leaky. And if you're a logician, it looks paradoxical. For Lacan, it starts to look a lot more like lived experience. That's not the best one though. I don't think that's the best paradox in all this. It gives us some stuff though. The fantasy of wholeness, completion, totality, plenitude, unity, that fuels our desirous pursuit of the smallest whole number not written on the board. Lacan then says is the poetic fantasy par excellence. So this fantasy that we could arrive at a total set of numbers, whole numbers here, small whole numbers on the board is not too different from what he says on page 20 is the poetic fantasy par excellence. Second illustration. It's not that Lacan doesn't have examples, it's that his examples are crazy, crazy good. So check out the middle paragraph on page 20 and remember what we're trying to figure out here. Something about the structural lack that the other always has. Here indeed is where there may be situated the fantasy. Oh, there's the word fantasy, which is properly the poetic fantasy par excellence. The one which obsessed Mallarmé, the absolute book. The fantasy of the absolute book. Okay, if you don't know what this is, Lacan's going to explain it. It's at this level where things are tied together, at the level of the use not of pure signifier, but of the purified signifier. Insofar as I say that I write, that I say 
that the signifier is here articulated as distinct from any signified, I then see there being outlined the possibility of this absolute book. And then he tells us what it is after all that, whose property would be that it would encompass the whole signifying chain. So the absolute book is the book that includes every possible element in the signifying chain, letter, word, sentence, paragraph, and the like. The problem here though, is that if it does that, it may no longer signify anything. In this then there is something that proves to be founded in existence at the level of the universe of discourse. But we have to suspend this existence on the proper logic, which that of the fantasy may constitute because moreover, it is the only one that can tell us the way in which this region is attached to the universe of discourse. Undoubtedly, it is not excluded that it should enter it. But on the other hand, it is quite certain that it specifies itself in it, not at all by this purification of which I spoke earlier. For purification is not at all possible of what is essential to the universe of discourse, namely meaning. And were I to speak to you for another four hours about this absolute book, it would nevertheless remain that everything that I tell you has a sense. So even this example, Lacan is not quite ready to go down the road with this one. The part that we like about this is that it points out this fantasy of wholeness, completion, totality that is very much at the root of the fundamental fantasy that is to be traversed in psychoanalysis, that the big other is whole, complete, not lacking. Okay. Let's see if we can put a summary to this. Bounce down a little bit more on page 20, about eight lines up from the bottom. We're getting closer. By simply closing the chain, there results that each group of four can easily leave outside itself the extraneous number. Wait, what is he talking about? This is one of those weird moments in Lacan. The summary that we want is here, but the example to which he's referring is not the one he just spoke of, not the book of all things. It's a page back on page 19 where he's doing this shit with A, B, C, D, and E. Wouldn't it be great if Lacan had introduced the example of the book of absolute everything? and then done the A, B, C, and D, and E, because then we could get the summary right after that? Of course it would. That would be a lot easier to read than what we're doing right now. But it would not remain true to what Lacan says at the start of seminar 11, which is, I'm a poem. In every bit of the sense, when Lacan steps up onto the stage, he is performing the unconscious. Your dream does not move in logical, coherent, sequential order. Actually, it does have a logic. But its logic is not sequential, chronological, the way we experience reality, which is not the real, but reality. When Lacan is teaching this material, he wants to embody as much as possible the strange poetry that occurs at the level of the unconscious, which you see every night when you close your eyes and have that dream 
where one thing leads to another in a completely non-sequential, surprising way. So here, we've got a summary at the bottom of page 20, but it's a summary of the example that occurred on page 19, not the one we just heard. So you have to be able to do this kind of leaping around. The second thing to note about this is, Lacan believes that attending his seminars were part of the process of training in psychoanalysis. Because listening to him work through this material is not so different from listening to an analyzand talk through some crazy ass shit, or at least that's his wager. That aside, let's get to this other example. Another example of what he's trying to get at around containers and things contained, this logic. Page 19, there's Russell's paradox again. I'm not going to bother you with that silly logic. But Lacan is a catalog of catalogs, he says, in the middle of 19. Here indeed, in a first approach, is what is involved as a signifier. What, why should we be surprised that it does not contain itself? Naturally, since this seems to us to be required from the beginning. Nevertheless, there is nothing to prevent the catalog of all catalogs which do not contain themselves from printing itself inside it. In truth, nothing would prevent it, even the contradiction that Lord Russell would deduce from it. So Lacan is not giving a fuck about contradiction because he's thinking at the level of the unconscious, which adheres to a principle of non-contradiction, among others. But let us consider precisely this possibility that exists in order not to contradict itself. It does not inscribe itself in itself. So Lacan's saying, I don't buy all this bullshit that Russell's putting out. It's not a paradox at all when you think at the level of the unconscious. But let's just play it out. Let's play it out as though we're symbolic logicians and that this really is paradoxical. That you cannot have a catalog of catalogs that do not contain itself, that that leads you into an aporia of sorts. Let's take the first catalog. There are only four catalogs up to then, which do not contain themselves. Here they are, catalog A, B, C, and D. Let us suppose that there appears another catalog, which does not contain itself. We add it on. It's the letter E. Why is it inconceivable to think that there is a first catalog which contains A, B, C, and D, and a second catalog which contains B, C, D, and E, and not be surprised that each of them lacks this letter which is properly the one that would designate itself? So here's how to think about this. Catalog one would be designated by the letter E. And it would contain the letters A, B, C, and D. Catalog two is designated by the letter A. And it contains B, C, D, and E. That's what he's messing with here. So you have a letter that is exterior to, external to, this other grouping of letters. And that external letter is the designator, the name, if you will, the signifier of that catalog. So E is the signifier of the catalog that contains A, B, C, and D. And A is the signifier 
of a catalog that contains B, C, D, and E. Okay, you ready for the shit to turn up a little bit? But from the moment that you generate this sequence, you have only to arrange it around the circumference of a disk to see that it is not because in each catalog, one of them will be missing. Indeed, even a greater number, that the circle of these catalogs will not add up to something which is precisely what corresponds to the catalog of all the catalogs which do not contain themselves. For this, we're going to need to turn to some imagery. So hold tight, y'all. I'm going to pull up the, the tablet here and, uh, and see if we can diagram some of this in ways that might be helpful. So can you all see the black screen in front of you? Show me a thumbs up if you can, right on. Okay, so the first thing that he's messing with is a catalog. one that would be called E and it would contain the letters A, B, C, and D. Then you'd have catalog two. It would be called A, this is the signifier that designates it, and it would contain B, C, D, and E. There you have it. Now what he's saying is, let's re-diagram this. You, have to, you always have to wonder in these moments um, whether it's gonna be worth it. McCann asks you to do all this work. You're like, man, is this gonna fucking pay off? Cause I'm working pretty damn hard here to try and understand all this. This one pays off. So bear with me here. Then he says, now arrange this around the circumference of a disc. So each of these catalogs gets arranged around the circumference of a disk. And how are we to arrange these things around the circumference of a disk? Well, very simply, in the middle is a hole. I'm sure you already can sense where I'm headed with this. And here are, you can arrange them however the hell you want. You know what this is? This is like um, this is like the Bob Ross of psychoanalysis. I'm gonna put a happy little hole here. And you know, this is your world. You can make it however you want. You can put your B up here, put your C down here, put your D right here. All right, let's get out some uh, some titanium white here and see if we can make this liquid clear really pop. And of course, at that moment, if you watch Bob Ross, he will legit have like a baby squirrel in his pocket. And the squirrel will come out and say, oh, this little critter here, it came out to my deck on, you know, in the mountains, and I just couldn't let him go. Apparently, that was a big problem with Bob Ross, is that PBS had a hard time with him because, first of all, he resisted his outfit. At some point, the afro and the denim, everything, uh, he got tired of it. And they're like, no, bro, this is your outfit. It's part of your contract. The other thing, though, was he was incorrigible with pet mice and squirrels and rabbits and shit. He was always showing up with animals legit in his pocket. And you'd be at a meeting and a squirrel would straight up crawl out of Bob Ross's pocket. I can't verify that part, but um, but the man did like squirrels and talks a lot about it. 
Um, the real question here is, why on earth would I bring up Bob Ross in this context? Connect those dots. So we've got these catalogs placed around a disk and one of the terms is missing and they don't add up to which is precisely corresponds to the catalog of all catalogs that are not contain themselves. Simply, of course, simply, Lacan says about six lines from the bottom of page 19 where we are. What will constitute this chain will have this property of being an additional signifier. It's important here, the E and the A, the E in catalog one and the A in catalog two is an additional signifier which is constituted from the closure of the chain, an uncountable signifier and which because, precisely because of this fact, is able to be designated by a signifier. Because being nowhere, there is no difficulty in a signifier arising, which designates it as the additional signifier, the one that is not grasped in the chain. <clears throat> A and E are the ones that are not grasped in the chain. They are here, they are present, they are essential, they designate the closure of this thing and the containment therein. But they are not themselves included in it. They close the loop. They designate the closing of a loop around four entities in this case. They are additional signifiers that designate the grouping of these other four signifiers into closed sets. They, however, are not grasped or contained in those closed sets. What we have here are containers that are not among their contents. But the reality is that you couldn't have the latter without the former. You can't have those contents without having some designator marked by the container. So for instance, this applies to every box of cereal, jewelry, dicks, tricks, the like. The box is not among the cereal. The box is not jewelry. The box is not a dick. The box ain't a trick. Reminds me of that sequence Louis C.K. used to do. Remember Louis C.K. before he, before he fucked up? <clears throat> no, before he got caught fucking up? Um, I hope he comes back someday, reformed and ready to crack us up again. But remember that time he says, walking down the street, somebody leans out the car door and says, hey, asshole, suck a bag of dicks. And Louis C.K. is like, what, was that? what am I supposed to do? Like, how do you suck a bag of dicks? Like, do you, do you pull out each dick individually and suck it? And then the question is, do you have to make it come? And then what do you do when, when the dick is sucked? Do you like... Do you, do you put it in a bowl like a, like edamame at a sushi restaurant? Like you pull the shit and seeds come out of the shell and then you put it in a bowl and you're done. But there's something else that, that Louis C.K. does in this moment. Um, this disgusting example is, is quite relevant because he says, 
suck a bag of dicks. Um, do I take out each individual dick and suck it? Or do I put my mouth to the bag and start sucking? See how he's messing with this? He is fully acknowledging that the bag itself is part of the puzzle. It's not just which dicks to start with. It's what about the bag? I was told to suck a bag. It happens to be full of dicks, but you did tell me to suck a bag. So do I put the bag in my mouth? Lacan CK has figured out what we're revealing here, that there is this additional element that is not included in the bag of dicks, namely the bag itself. But if someone tells you to suck a bag of dicks, you can't help but wonder which one to start with. Among the ones that are included in the bag of dicks, the dicks themselves, or the mm that contains the bag of dicks, a different one. Which one do you start with when someone tells you to suck a bag of dicks? <clears throat> Which brings us to that summary on 20 that we just left off with. We went from the absolute book to the summary that we couldn't have to the A, B's, C's, and D's with stops along the way at Bob Ross and Louis C.K. Here's what we're after. In returning to Russell's paradox and continually bringing up this business of sets with elements that are essential to, but necessarily excluded from the sets themselves, Lacan's asking a simple question. How can the container be among its contents? But also, how can it not be among its contents if this container, like the symbolic and the big other, purports to encompass all things? Again, for those of you who read Badiou, this is basically what he's doing with the state. The state attempts to count for and account for all things, except itself. What it always leaves out of its totalizing count is the counting machine itself that the state actually is. And that's where we see opportunities for social change, radical and otherwise, by the sheer fact that it cannot leave itself out if it purports to encompass all things. Now, I leave these diagrams up here because after this summary, we're gonna have another example. The summary in question is at the bottom of page 20. By simply closing the chain, which we've done with these blue circles, there results that each group of four can easily leave outside itself the extraneous signifier, the E and the A, which can serve to designate the group for the simple reason that it is not represented in it and that nevertheless, the whole chain will be found to constitute the totality of all these signifiers. B, C, D, and E, A, B, D, and C. Giving rise to this additional unit, uncountable as such, 
which is essential for the whole series of structures, which are precisely the ones on which I founded since the year 1960, my whole operation of identification. Boom. All of a sudden, it's revealed that what we're fucking talking about here is Lacan's theory of identification. But he's not going to stop there. Namely, what you find of it, for example, in the structure of the torus. Boom. Here's a great opportunity to understand what Lacan is doing topologically with this donut-shaped figure of the torus. You know what donuts look like, right? I'm talking about the donuts that have holes popped out of the middle of them. The donut that is a ring that has an opening in the middle, it's three-dimensional, tubular, and so forth. You know the donut I'm talking about. It's a classic-looking donut. In fact, it's the donut that looks a lot like the circles that you've got up on the screen in front of you. There's a hole in the middle and donut all around. I'm drawing donuts. That's what this is supposed to be. The structure of the torus being quite obvious that by buckling on the torus a certain number of circuits, top of page 21 now in seminar 14, by making operate a series of complete circuits at a cut and by making them the number that you like, naturally, the more of them there are, the more satisfying it is, but the more obscure it is. It is enough to make two of them to see their appearing at the same time this third required for these two to buckle together, as I might say, for the line to bite its own tail. It will be this third circuit, which is assured by the buckling around the central hole through which it is impossible not to pass in order for the first two loops to cut the line. All right, just hang on a second. Here's what's happening. Lacan is telling us that there are three elements to a torus, two circuits, and then this third, which also constitutes its own circuit. The first two circuits are these. I'm not a great artist, so bear with me. If you have a torus, you've got this tubular-like thing. It's three-dimensional, so it's what I'm trying to draw here. And it goes all the way around, right? It's a three-dimensional entity looking something like this. It might be even easier to draw it out here. Here's your basic torus. You have to imagine this as a three-dimensional entity. What Lacan's saying is you have three circuits. There's the one here. There's circuit one. And you can draw it as many times as you want, as we've done here with these circles. In fact, the more times you draw it, the more obscure it gets. Isn't that Lacan's point right here at the top of page 21? Then there is this other circuit in every torus, which is around this, not the circumference of the donut, but around the tube itself. And you can draw as many of these around as you want. Again. You can repeat that as many times as you want, but each torus is gonna to have these two circuits. 
Lacan's point, though, is that in order for the two to be buckled together the way they are in a torus, the little circles that go around the structure of the donut and the big circle that is the structure of the donut, in order for those two to be fastened together, there has to result this other third circuit, which is the hole in between. This is the third circuit. One represented by the teal, two represented by the pink, and three represented by the hole in the middle, which corresponds here to A and E. If I am not making any drawing on the board today, which is partly why I got out the pen tab, because we don't have a drawing to accompany this, it is because in truth, in saying it, I am saying enough about it for you to understand me, and also a good deal too little for me to show you that they are at least two paths at the origin along which this can be effected, and that the result is not at all the same as regards the emergence of this additional one. Here we have it again, the additional one that I am in the process of speaking to you about. This simply suggestive indication contains nothing to exhaust the richness of what the least topological study provides you with. What we're getting at here is a one plus one that equals three. Teal plus pink doesn't just equal two circuits. There's a third absented circuit that props up the others. And that's why one plus one in, Lacan in Lacanian math is always going to equal three when it comes to the torus, because there's this third element in the middle, an element that is not included among the visible circuits being run around every torus. Page 21, continuing. What it is a matter simply of indicating today is that the specificity of this world of writing is precisely to distinguish itself from the discourse, from discourse by the fact that it can close. And closing on itself, it is precisely from there that there arises this possibility of a one, which has a completely different status to the one which unifies and encompasses. This is the additional one. It's a one that has a completely different status from the universe, the oneification that makes a set. There's something else here, an additional one. I think this is a profound point that Lacan is getting after here. Two cuts buckled together in such a way that a third emerges. What's at stake here? And if you've been with us on any of these other lecture series, this is going to be obvious is the structural logic of object little a. What does object a designate? Well, it's an opening. Yes, you've heard it from me before. Hence the science of psychoanalysis, <clears throat> objectality, a study of openings, and why little a is such a fundamental term in Lacan's algebra. It marks an opening. Little a, and again, you've heard it from me before, is the minimum irreducible distance, gap, lack, or opening between any two entities that allows them to remain distinct. If this gap, cut, line, distance, whatever you want to call it, if this opening were closed, you'd no longer see two entities. 
you would only see one. Now, in order for you to have an opening of any kind, however, you have to have an edge, a line, an edge, a rim, a limit, some kind of a stroke, if you will. Here's my question. What is the origin of this additional one that has an edge-like structure that is essential to and always escaping from, and thus uncountable within, every totalizing effort to count as one? Again, this is the question that Lacan gives us in the opening sections of seminar 14. What is the origin of this additional one that we've been talking about? We know it has an edge-like structure. We know that it is essential to, but always like a ferret, escaping from, and thus uncountable within, every totalizing effort to make a group of entities count as one, to totalize these entities. In Lacanian psychoanalysis, the name for this origin is the unary trait. And again, with an emphasis on the UN at the front of unary trait. The unary trait is a primordial signifier. It's the un of the father, which constitutes the split subject. And it's worth considering for a moment, considering that it is also what starts popping on page 22 of seminar 14. It's in italics, you can read it there yourself, the unary stroke. And then another terrific example of all this with Daniel and the writing on the wall. We don't have time to get into it today, but it's definitely worth checking out. And if you wanna see this playing out in more ways in Lacan, check out the third part of my book, The Chattering Mind where in seminar two, you can see Lacan playing with this exact same passage in the book of Daniel. And in the chattering mind, I take it all apart. But for now, let's get after this unary trait because time is of the essence. What is the primordial signifier that is the origin of this additional one? Lacan is overwhelmingly clear here and throughout his work. The primordial signifier known as the unary trait is effectively the word no, N-O. But notice how this plays out in seminar 14. It starts on page 40. <clears throat> he introduces the no, which is foundational as regards the narcissistic structure on page 40. Then he moves into the negation of meconnaissance, of misrecognition. And then on page 41, he comes to this famous not without thinking. The way that we saw in seminar 10, anxiety is not without an object, which is not the same as saying it has one, it's like saying that its object is very special, unique, different. But this logic of the not without is popping on 41. 
We're not going to mess with it. We ain't got time. It comes down in the middle of 41 to be a matter of cause. And that's what we're after here. The unary trait that is the origin of this additional one, this one too many, that Lacan is drawing out of set theory is a cause. Lower half of page 41, Lacan finally just comes clean. What is meant by the term no? Non. What you have to remember in French also sounds exactly as the word for name, nom. N-O-N sounds exactly like N-O-M, which is why you get some interesting connections between the no of the father and the name of the father in Lacanian psychoanalysis. Can we even make it emerge as a form of complementary neither? This is his not without stuff, or I'm sorry, yeah. At, as a form of the may of méconnaissance, nor in terms of the not without business. When it comes to be applied to the most radical terms around which I always made turn for you the question of the fact of the unconscious. It's been a lot of work doing what we're doing here today. It comes down though to this. This no that brings us to the question of the fact of the unconscious. Namely, might the idea even come to us that when we speak about non-being, it is a matter of this something, which is supposed to be in a way on the periphery of the, wait for it, bubble of being. Is non-being then all the space outside? Is it even possible to suggest that this is what we mean when we speak very confusedly in truth about this non-being that I would prefer on this occasion to entitle by what is at stake and that the unconscious puts into question, namely the place where I am not. The un of the father, the non of the father, is an incision, which looks a lot like this, by the way. That opens up a space which looks a lot like this, by the way, where I am not, where I exist as something which relative to the big other's claim to account for everything can only be experienced as a no thing, a not thing, which is to say a something which is nothing. Now, there are two ways to move forward from here. One is to recall <clears throat> the example of going on a camping trip. <clears throat> You've heard it from me before. 
you get in the car. Maybe your partner, your friend, your homie picks you up right from your work. You jump in the car. You say, man, I can't wait to go camping. This is great. You take a sip of tea. You're getting after it. And you say, did you pack the tent? Fuck yeah, I packed the tent. Cooler full of beer. You know I got a cooler full of beer. You get that pillow. I got that pillow. You know that pillow I like? I like that pillow. You got blow hair into it and it becomes a pillow. I like that pillow. You got that pillow. It's really small. You got it? Two ounces. Oh, yeah, I got your pillow. Bro, cool it. I packed everything. Everything is packed. This car contains everything we need for our camping trip. At which point you reach over and you grab the emergency brake and you pull it and you damn near cause an accident. And you say, stop the car, son. We got to turn around. We forgot something. We talk about it. I just told you I packed everything. If you packed everything, then you left nothing behind. So turn around. We got to go get it. Nothing is excluded from every claim issued by a totalizing count. Nothing is necessarily excluded. In order to have a category of everything, the way that the big other purports early in life and the way that we sustain at the level of the fundamental fantasy, a something which is nothing relative to that claim to everything has to be excluded, has to be left out. In fact, it's so essential that if nothing weren't left out, the totalizing claim, like Russell's catalog of catalogs, would fail in its mission. It wouldn't work. Nothing has to be excluded in order for the claim to represent everything to hold. And that's what we're after here. Which brings us back to that superimposition of lack that we talked about around separation toward the end of seminar 11. Does this mean that my non-being, this place where I am not, is among those additional ones, those ones too many, which are essential to and excluded from the other, which begs another more fundamental question. And this is the second way to turn out of this no thing, not thing, a something which is in fact nothing that is us. What exactly is the relation between the constitutive lack of the subject and the constitutive lack of the big other, of the symbolic? Is my non-being always already what the other is missing? Is the child always already dead to the parent? This is a question that is begged in that chapter on alienation in seminar 11. And it's a question that here Lacan puts us onto again by focusing on the way the un at the origin of the cause of desire 
this un that corresponds to the additional one creates this space where I am not. It opens up a space where I am not. Is this the very space that the big other struggles to encompass, necessarily struggles to encompass? We'll see where Lacan goes with this. This puts us about 40, 50 pages into seminar 14. The logic of fantasy is so far a lot of logic. In mentioning the fundamental fantasy, I've tried to put us on the trail that you can take from here. Whether that's where Lacan goes from here, we'll see. Thanks for listening to Lectures on Lacan. Stay tuned for more episodes soon. A big shout out to the artist Jerry Paper for our podcast theme music.